Hey, Forge family. In podcast number six, we heard of Paul's teaching to the Colossians that since that congregation had received Christ Jesus as Lord, they had been firmly rooted in him, built up in him, established in their faith in response to instruction, and that they were overflowing with gratitude to God. Next, Paul launches his analysis of the false teachers in a manner where he warns the Colossians to watch out for false philosophy and empty deception. Those two, the philosophy and the deception, were rooted in the generational flow of traditions that had been handed down to them and to the demonic push from elemental spirits who previously dominated the lives of the Colossians. The answer to those false powers was in Christ alone, for he is filled full of the essence of God while in the form of a human body. He is the final ruler over time and creation. Through Christ, the Colossians have been cleansed by the severing of the flesh, the sin nature off of them, and that was the reference to the circumcision not made with hands. Their hearts had been cleansed. Paul continued to describe their death and resurrection with Christ in baptism. In the final three verses of chapter 2, in verses 13 to 15, Paul describes the manner in which Christ took the charges against the Colossians. Their sins that the Mosaic law could not redeem, which resulted in a death penalty. And he nailed that indictment to his cross to set them free. And then Paul describes the ascension of Christ from the grave, risen alive through the second heavens, defeating Satan and his demonic forces, to arrive in the third heaven at the great, as the great high priest to offer his own blood for full atonement to be made for all mankind. <clears throat> all right, let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we, with the Colossian believers now in glory, give thanks to you for your atoning work. Yes, Lord, we have to choose that for ourselves. But when we do, you come flooding in by Holy Spirit to fill us full of grace and peace. We are grateful for your, your rooting, your building, your establishing work in us. Keep coming, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Forge family, go gather up your Colossians text, notebooks and pens, and come settle in to receive from the word the assurance and protection that is in Christ. <clears throat> Podcast number seven will be uh, looked at in Colossians chapter two, verses 16 to 23. Let's begin. So let me begin reading out loud verse 16. It says, Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Well, obviously, um, <clears throat> A lot of that comes from the Jewish dietary law and the Jewish calendar. Okay? Two themes here, diet and religious expressions. Now, the Mosaic law did specify both clean and unclean food. Now, the clean and unclean uh, designations were to teach Israel about purity and impurity and, in everyday life. 
the law specified that uh, for worship occasions, no alcohol was permitted. In the case of the latter, wine, grapes, and raisins were symbols of joy, and the Lord forbade their use when men and women came to him to worship. He alone was to be their joy. The wine, grapes, and raisins were just symbols and reminders. <clears throat> As to clean and unclean foods, Jesus takes on the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, where he says, food is for the body. You eat it, it's digested and expelled. It doesn't connect with the heart. There he trashes dietary law. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8 that food eating it or not eating it, does not commend us to God. In the New Testament, food and drink are lawful, in contrast to the Pharisees or perhaps to the Essenes. The latter were a sect of Judaism who withdrew to the Judean wilderness down on the Dead Sea, practicing dietary restrictions that far exceeded the Mosaic law. Their rigorous cleanliness and dietary limitations, celibacy and nonviolence, appealed to certain of the Gnostic false teachers. So Paul begins in verse 16 to say, stop, stop, stop allowing anyone to sit in judgment over what you eat and what you drink. Amazing statement that in light of the rigors of religious training, you know, that goes around, all of it concerning food and drink. In Christ, there's great freedom and the need for Holy Spirit to supply wisdom. Next, Paul says, stop allowing anyone to sit in judgment over your religious expressions. And he goes on uh, to name the any festival, any feast day, any new moon, any Sabbath day. Now, obviously, those four come directly out of the Jewish calendar. The one that captured my attention was, quote, new moon, unquote. <clears throat> that descriptor appears first in Numbers chapter 29, verse 6. And um, not being Jewish, I was puzzled. Nowhere in the law and uh, ordinances through Exodus, Leviticus, and most of the book of Numbers, nowhere is there any new moon reference with its burnt offerings of animals, flour, oil, wine, and one male, male goat set aside as a sin offering. See, two previous references in Numbers speaks of a new month offering. Well, it turns out that the Jews were so meticulous in the careful keeping of the new moon days and offerings that when the dark of the moon was on them, okay, that's when the, the moon is entirely eclipsed by the earth. So, None of the light of the sun can reach around the circumference of the earth to get to the moon. Okay? Then the religious leaders would dispatch runners to the high places around them, giving them sanction to travel even if that night fell on a Sabbath. Now hear that. Even on a Sabbath they could they could they could run, they could travel. Okay, and those watchers would wait until the tiniest slice of the new moon appeared, and then they would hurry to the synod, to the religious leaders to report. The watchers were assembled, examined, and when the synod was satisfied that indeed the new moon had appeared, they would declare that day 
sanctified, which means set apart to God. And the coming day was declared new moon. That set in motion the blowing of trumpets, the selection of two bulls, a ram, seven male lambs, the flower offering, the oil and the wine offerings being ready, had to be made ready for sacrifice, plus that last choice of a male goat to choose for a sin offering. And they did that every month, every new moon. You see, the, the Hebrew calendar was, was four new moons, and then you start a new month. The Gregorian calendar that we operate on is we have longer months, okay? And we sort of disregard the moon, the lunar cycles. And Paul's reference here to Sabbath is to the regular cessation of labor and travel, you know, food preparation, that sort of thing, from Friday at sunset until Saturday at sunset. And the celebrations, both in the synagogue life and in the home life, on every Sabbath day. In verse 17, Paul wants to state emphatically that such keeping of festivals and calendar days was just a shadow. It's not the real substance here. The real substance, translated by some as soma, you know, the body, it's, it's really Christ himself. Christ himself, as he fulfilled all obligations laid out in those shadow practices and ordinances. In verse 18, Paul commands the Colossians to never, ever let, to never allow, ever, the disqualifying of themselves, the declaration of being unworthy of the prize in Christ that awaits them. There are those in Colossae who, by teaching and practicing passionate self-abasement, the way to say that is, they, they, these teachers and practicers, yeah, they were voluntarily devoting themselves to false modesty. You have to take it out of the context here. Okay. Further, Paul says they take upon themselves the outward appearance of superior reverence for God through their worship of angels. They were then judging the believers in Christ as somehow spiritually deficient. 300 years later, one of the early church fathers wrote of angelic adoration and worship in Phrygia, of which Colossae was the bullseye. 45 years ago, sort of in the close, closing days of the, the Jesus movement here on the San Francisco Peninsula, a young man described himself, oh, he, he, he didn't describe himself, excuse me, he distinguished himself as a teacher. He'd come to faith in Jesus two to three years before. He's a really pretty new believer, but he was earnest and quiet and intense. <clears throat> a handful of new believers were drawn to that intensity, opening, uh, openly talking about the unusual depth of his teaching. He did have a teaching gift, Okay. But in the meantime, he and his followers began to distance themselves from any accountability. And they began more and more insular. Now, I lost track of him 40 years ago. Uh, but he was, even at that time, beginning to walk in the pattern, in the template of the false teachers in Colossae. The point is, no matter how gifted you may be, Jesus still is the head. Still in verse 18, 
Paul highlights the powerful picture of self-conceit in the teachers in Colossae that seek to lead the church astray. Paul says, they take their stand, investigating through minute scrutinization the things imagined or expressed about a vision. In so doing, they become inflated, vainly puffed up. And Paul uses the Greek words for bellows, used in a forge to puff air, to blow air on hot coals. These heretics boasted of being guided by higher knowledge. Paul's response was that all that output was carnal and fleshly. Further, they clearly were not holding fast to the head. The, the Greek word is kephale, who is Christ. He's the head of the body. Here, head is a title. The repeated emphasis of the headship of Christ is the key to this whole epistle. 48 years ago, Jan and I, uh, we were both pastoral interns at Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto. And on the, a particular day, we were led up some stairs by a guitar-playing uh, uh, friend. Um, he was filling the role of an evangelist in a role play that we are, were being brought into. And um, he, he brought all 25 or so of us interns up these stairs as if we, he was leading us to Christ. At the top of the stairs, we were greeted by Ron Ritchie. He was a youth pastor at that time. Ron still lives in the, in the area. He's a, he's a mentor, dear friend. <clears throat> we were each given a wrapped box, and Ron explained that each believer in Christ was given one or more gifts of the Spirit on conversion. Ron had us open the boxes and began to place us on a large body-shaped outline on the floor of a large room. Some were servants, and so they were placed on the hands. Some were gifted with mercy, so they were placed on the heart on the floor figure. Ron continued to teach about spiritual gifts until someone stepped into the outline of the head. And that brought out some words of warning about Christ alone being the head of the body. And Colossae, there were those who were holding fast to the head. And there were those who had begun to slip away. Paul's description of the body in the natural, a human body, has been confirmed by modern medicine. You know, we are indeed knit together. We're held tightly by joints and ligaments. Okay, But in case of the body of Christ, it grows and it is held together as the Lord leads. Verse 20, once again, Paul refers to the elemental spirits, saying, if you Colossians have died with Christ in baptism, why are you living in a world where those elemental spirits have power over you still? See, death separates you from people, from things, from values and practices. It separates you from the law, from guilt and from sin. On the other side of the grave, you don't look back. You don't reach back. And you don't go back. Why? When you were dead to the elemental demonic spirits of the world, Paul would say, do you submit yourselves to decrees like, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste? Such decrees are rooted in aesthetic practices of uh, perhaps the Essenes. See, they were vegans. They, they, they ate no animal product at all. Now, perhaps the religious private practices of the Greek mystery religions. 
perhaps some false view that if I control my body, I can get God to draw near to me. God says in verse 22, these things, these practices, these experiences are destined to perish. Greek word here is for corruption and decomposition. That makes those practices worldly, natural, and they're not of eternal consequences. They are just according to the commandments and teachings of men. Verse 23, Paul acknowledges that such appearances of wisdom based on self-made religion may appeal to some. The unique compound word that Paul assembles here of, of, of self-made religion is, as Finnis Dake says, this is any form of worship man chooses for himself apart from the true worship of God. Some forms have a great show of refinement, humility, and asceticism, but they're powerless to deal with sin and the old man. They only feed self-righteousness and pride and do not change the heart. Secondly, Paul notes the mock humility of the false teachers, shown in unsparing fashion by their harsh treatment of the body. Now, flagellation is one of those harsh treatments of the body. Going unclothed in cold weather, extreme fasting, that sort of thing. Now, 800 years later, it was standing unclothed in rock tanks that were filled and emptied and filled and emptied by crashing surf off the North Atlantic. That's frigid stuff. And today there are those who choose to be crucified for hours at a time, hung on a cross, all to gain God's favor and to get his attention. Paul ends verse 22 with the summary, verse 23, excuse me, with the summary. These things have no value against fleshly, sin-driven indulgence. <clears throat> We do not know with certainty if Paul is pointing out the immorality of the false teachers who were one thing in public, seemingly wise, seemingly filled with higher knowledge. You know, they thought they had low opinions of themselves. They, they, they suppressed their body in public. And another th they were then another thing in, in private where fleshly indulgence was rampant. Even that may have been drawn from early Gnostic heresy in which the body was viewed as, as it's going to die anyway, so you can do whatever you want with it. It doesn't matter. What counts under that Gnostic heresy was higher knowledge. All right, Forge family. <clears throat> in our slice of America and being part of the body of Christ here in the Bay Area, my observation is that License, not legalism, is around us and in our midst. Forge Church, you are a band of those faithful ones who are what you say because that's what you do. There's no dual streaming, no double lifestyle. You keep yourselves holding fast to the body of which Christ is the head. Now, then we encourage each other to let Christ reign in you more. Each one to the other. And keep going for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, the scriptures discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Holy Spirit, you, you come alongside as we walk out our faith. Lord God, you welcome us. We're acceptable to you. We come into your presence. Lord Jesus, your blood speaks for us when we sin and make confession. Thank you. Three in one, you deserve obedience, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, I love you. We'll be together soon. God bless.